Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. Don't forget that in your life, you have been forgiven. If you ponder your sin for a few minutes and you see the filth of your own sin and you recognize that a holy God has taken all your sin and said, I should reject you for this, I should retaliate, I should mete out justice, but instead I'll take all your sin and I'll nail it to the cross. That becomes something that can let me forgive even when I feel like I can't forgive. It can seem impossible to forgive, especially when you've been hurt deeply, until you remember that you've been forgiven by God. This awesome truth should motivate us to extend forgiveness to others. Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares shares a practical lesson on how to forgive, even when you don't feel like it. I'm Dave Drewy. Glad you could join us as we continue to work our way verse by verse through 2 Samuel and discover the key to survival on an imperfect planet. Well, now let's get started. Jot this down. If the first component of forgiveness is making the first move, extending charisma, the second component of forgiveness, the other half of it is going to feel like this, fully canceling the debt. It's going to be seeing that there should be some equity here, but I'm letting it go. I'm forgetting about it. I'm saying no. When I say forget, I'm not talking about mentally. I'm talking about judicially. I'm saying you don't owe me anymore. The score does not have to be settled here. I release you from the debt. Have you ever released a debt from anybody? I mean, few of us are lucky enough to have our mortgage company call us and say, hey, forget it, don't pay us back. We've shredded your file, you know, you don't have to pay us. But sometimes on a smaller scale, we've had somebody owe us something and we've said, forget it. A guy borrowed my car once, crashed it, long story, but he owed me 2,000 bucks. He couldn't pay me. And as time went on, it became abundantly clear, he cannot pay me. But there I was seeing him at church every Sunday. Finally, I realized that if we're ever going to reconcile here, I have got to release the debt. And because I'm that kind of guy, I had a file on this guy. And in the file, I had carefully detailed the money he owed me. And so when I said, I have to efheme this debt so that I can have a relationship again with this guy, I had to go to the file, open it up, pull out that piece of paper and tear up the debt. You know what? That is such a good illustration of what you and I have to feel when we forgive the person that's hurt us, wronged us, said things to us that are mean, in some way injured us or the ones that we love. We need to tear the debt up. And that means when I see that guy on the next Sunday, and now I'm not thinking he owes me. You know what I'm saying? I'm not having to watch, you know, does he have any new shoes on this week? Because those are really mine, right? (laughs) I don't go there anymore because in my head, it's forgiven. The debt has been released. You owed me, but it's gone. That's what it's going to feel like for you. Now, I'm going to tell you that what's going to happen in your heart is you're going to have emotions that say, no stinking way. Because your heart's going to say, that ain't right. That ain't right. You like uh, having Abishai whisper in your ear, you're going to feel something that's going to say, that's not fair. And I want to tell you this, this may shock you, but that feeling that you have is rooted in something very godly. That feeling that you have that says, do not release that debt, that would not be right, is a feeling that reflects the character of God. It's called justice. Go back to our passage in Romans 12, classic passage on forgiveness. It starts out in verse 17 with this statement. Romans chapter 12, verse 17. 
Do not repay evil for evil. Now, if you really ponder that statement for a few minutes, it would bother you. I mean, isn't that what justice is? The issue isn't the equation. The issue is who's the subject. I don't want you repaying evil for evil. Now, here's a little caveat. I'm not talking uh, about uh, uh, policemen here. I'm not talking about the court system. I'm not talking about lawyers. I'm not talking about the Constitution of the United States. I'm not talking about a body of laws or the legislature. There is a God-given role that they play that God has affirmed and established. Romans 13 is clear about this, that they are there and they are trying to, uh, in some semblance of justice, uh, prevail upon our society to, to, to have right uh, awarded and wrongs punished. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about in these relationships, you and me, you and your spouse, you and your brother, you and your parents, you and your kids, you and your fellow church member. The Bible says, don't you repay evil for evil. It's not your job. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Everyone? Yeah, that's charizomai. Do not take revenge. That's canceling the debt. That's a femi. My friends, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, that frees you up to extend grace. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. That is exactly what needs to happen when someone wrongs me. Even if it's as petty as gossip or or undue criticism. I believe that God is watching. And I have to have the faith to believe that God sees it. Now, if you don't have that faith or you're a non-Christian, then you're you're on your own. You you defer to the courts. The courts don't help you. Then you you take it out. You you, you take justice in your own hands. We believe that God is a God of justice and equity. And when I'm wronged and I'm gossiped about her, there's undue criticism. You know what? I can release the debt personally because I know we have a a dad, a very loving dad, but a very firm and disciplinarian father who is going to make sure that his kids treat each other the way they're supposed to. So I leave justice up to dad. I leave equity up to dad. All those feelings of he ought to pay, I leave that up to dad. I look at dad. I may do this. Hey, you seeing this? But when it comes to me and you, you know what? No debt. As a matter of fact, there's compassion. Especially in the non-Christian world, it's one thing when a Christian wrongs me. And I think our loving Heavenly Father is going to deal with you. But when a non-Christian wrongs me, there's even more sympathy. Because they'll stand before God one day. And they'll be accountable for what they've done. And when you talk about what they've done to God's kids, people like me, adopted children of the king, my goodness. Because hell is not just one big cauldron of sulfur God throws everybody in. It is exacted, carefully planned, discriminated degrees of punishment based on activities, actions, behaviors. God brings out a book and looks at everything that was done. So when someone wrongs me, there's a lot of compassion, particularly if they're non-Christians, because I'm like, oh my goodness, you don't know what you're doing. You know, it's like somebody coming to rip me off or to beat me up or to mug me or take my wallet. It's like, man, I don't think you want to do me. Don't do me. Right? <laughs> It'll be really bad on you. You won't, you know, a hundred years from now, you'll, you'll hate, you know, just the thought of me. Don't do me. See, because I recognize it's justice. But if they were to rip me off, you know what? It ain't an issue between you and me. Debt is canceled. The government doesn't take care of you. I know God will. It's important for us to recognize that that is the core, the other, the other element, the other component of forgiveness. Charizomai, I extend that hand of forgiveness even when it's not deserved. Aphemi, I let go. One is very active. One feels passive. One is disciplined to be passive. One is disciplined to be active. One says, I give, and I say, let's make up when I feel like they don't deserve it. The other is, I don't do anything when I feel like I I should do something. I don't want to settle the score, even though I feel like perhaps it ought to be settled. Make the first move. That's what charizomai is all about. Fully cancel the debt. That's what ephemi is all about. 
That's what it means. And when the king said, you shall not die, he was practicing biblical forgiveness. Did Jesus do this? You bet. Jot these references down, would you? Don't have time to turn there. 1 Peter 2.23, when they hurled insults at him, much like Shimei hurling insults at David, only much worse, because Jesus was perfect. Jesus did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Did you catch that? He looked at dad. 1 Peter 4.19, he sums up all this for us. And he says, so then when you suffer according to God's will, commit yourselves to a faithful creator. Look at dad. And then it adds a great phrase, and continue to do good. There's charizomai. I release the debt. I extend a hand of forgiveness. And I know that my feelings will rebel. But I realize that God is ultimately on the throne. And he's in charge. Whether it's sibling differences, whether it's me and a non-Christian that is in some way doing wrong in my life, I stand back. I, I extend a genuine hand of forgiveness. Now, back in our passage, 2 Samuel chapter 19. After all of that, it's interesting what happens next in this narrative. And by God's providential design, verse 24 begins with a word that brings up a whole different set of emotions. Mephibosheth. Now, if you've been with us, you remember Mephibosheth was this uh, paraplegic who was the grandson of Saul. The son of Jonathan and David had given him all of Saul's inheritance. He'd given him money, he'd given him rights, he'd given him privileges, he even let him sit at the king's table. He was so nice, so gracious toward Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth, when they were leaving town, and David was absolutely at the bottom of the bottom, and some people were assembling to help him, David stood there and found Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, but he did not find Mephibosheth. And unlike Christ, he quickly wrote him off. He said, well, you know, I guess he's not coming. And he took the word of a greedy servant named Ziba, and instead of trusting in his friend, instead of giving him the benefit of the doubt, instead of, of saying, you know, I, I think this guy has got some excuse for not being here, he writes him off, and worse than that, he gives away his entire inheritance. You think that was unfair and wrong? You bet it was. Based on the principles of Scripture, based on the Proverbs that Solomon would write about friendship, it was totally wrong. And as they're marching back, he's just dealt with Shimei, he's just forgiven the debt. He's released the debt. He's extended a hand to, to Judah and Israel and said, let's forgive each other. All of a sudden now, Mephibosheth rolls into town. And as David's coming up on Jerusalem, here he comes and look at him. Verse 24, his feet were a mess. He hadn't taken care of his feet. I don't know what that means. His toenails were really long or something. He's looking gross. He's got a mustache that hadn't been trimmed. His clothes have not been washed. And he stinks, right? Picture this mess. And it hasn't been washed. And he looks this bad because he hasn't done anything with himself since the day the king left until he was now returning. You know what that shows? It shows that Mephibosheth really wasn't jockeying and vying for position in the kingdom. It shows Mephibosheth, this class act, who's always filled with grace and mercy and compassion and kindness, was not someone trying to get something out of the deal and kiss up to Absalom to try and get some, some position in the kingdom. That for some reason, Mephibosheth couldn't make it. And that really he cared about David. Now, David must have been flooded with feelings of, uh-oh, kidding me. And he asks him, look at it, verse 25. When he came to Jerusalem to meet the king, the king said, well, why didn't you come with me, Mephibosheth? And Mephibosheth said, my lord, the king, since I, your servant, am lame, I said, I'll have my donkey saddle and I'll ride on it so I can go with the king. But Ziba, my servant, he betrayed me. And he slandered your servant to the, my lord, the king. My lord, the king, to me, you're like an angel of God. So do whatever pleases you. I mean, if you don't want to believe me, whatever. But I realize that all my grandfather's descendants deserve nothing from you but death. But my lord, the king, you gave your servant a place among those who sat at your table. 
What right do I have to make any more appeals to you, the king? I, I can't. The king, I'm sure, just riddled with remorse and frustration, realizing how poorly he had treated him, said, well, here, why say more? Divide the fields with Ziba. Ziba, of course, provided this life-saving provisions for David, and David was in this quandary legally and everything else. Big story here, but he divides the fields. Now, Mephibosheth, look, look at the grace. He says, I don't care about that. Let, the king, let, let him take everything, he says, now that my lord the king has arrived home safely. I just care about you, Dave. Now, Mephibosheth could have stood back, crossed his arms, and said, I can't believe you gave away my inheritance. Man, my goodness, I, I'm a paraplegic. Hey, Dave, I can't get around as fast as everybody else. I can't believe you treated me like that. But instead, Mephibosheth exercises forgiveness. And the key to this is, David extending charisma, David practicing ephemi, David giving grace, David releasing debts. It's interesting that in the very next verse, we see he needs forgiveness. We see that he's the recipient of forgiveness. We see that this forgiveness in David's life is not void of the need of forgiveness in his own life. As a matter of fact, it can become the springboard for a forgiver. I put it this way. Jot it down in your outline like this. Number three, never forget your own account. And that really is the key, isn't it? Never forget your own account. Don't forget that in your life, you have been forgiven. And sometimes it's people in our lives, like Mephibosheth. There's probably a few Mephibosheths in your life that have forgiven you graciously and kindly, who have not tried to settle the score, have have not leaned back with their arms crossed, but they've extended a hand of reconciliation when you've hurt them and wronged them. And if you're a Christian, my goodness, let's think about that for a second. You've got a God, a perfect, holy, just, righteous God who looks at you. If you ponder your sin for a few minutes and you see the filth of your own sin and you recognize that a holy God has taken all your sin and said, I should reject you for this, I should retaliate, I should mete out justice, but instead I'll take all your sin and I'll nail it to the cross. And I'll take upon myself all the pain of your sin and I'll embrace you instead of reject you. Then you've got to recognize that on your account, the dirt of your sin has been completely forgiven. And if it has, that becomes the springboard and the motive. That becomes something that can let me forgive even when I feel like I can't forgive. It's the thing that makes me push out my hand of reconciliation when I feel like there's no way that guy deserves it. It's the motivation for me to say I release the debt even though it's huge because I realize that in my life I've had a huge debt relieved. It's like Corrie ten Boom. Maybe you've heard the story. She was speaking in a church in, in Munich years after World War II. Of course, you know her story. Her father and her sister Betsy had been killed in the concentration camps. One day when giving her testimony in this church in the back door after she had begun to speak, a familiar face walked in and sat right in the back row. It was a former SS agent in Hitler's army who had actually guarded the doors in the concentration camp in which her sister had died. And she saw him and her heart was filled with rage. She finished her talk. I'm sure it was difficult and she stumbled through it. And when she was done, of course, as often happens, people came up to greet her and talk to her a little bit. And then the place began to clear out. Everybody but that person in the back. That man in the back row stood up and on his face, he was beaming with joy and with happiness and kindness and love. And he was smiling and he came forward and he was leaning forward and he had his hand out. Of course, she had been talking about grace and forgiveness and all these things. And obviously this man, by the look on his face, had responded to the grace of Christ at some point in his life. And he came forward to embrace Corey Tin Boom. And as Corey Tin Boom writes about that experience, she said her hand was plastered to her side. She said there was nothing in her energy or in her body that could convince the muscles in her face to smile because she looked at him with rage and anger. 
And you can imagine the awkward moment as this man had his hand out to shake Corey Ten Boom's hand, and her hand was affixed to her side, and on her face was a stern look, and she writes about that experience as just being consumed with anger. And in those moments that I'm sure seemed like hours, she began to negotiate with God about what was happening. And she told God and confessed to God, I have no forgiveness that's big enough to forgive this man. There's no grace in my life that can take my hand and put it out and embrace that man. I'm incapable of releasing the debt that I feel this man is responsible for. And then she says she began to think of the cross. And in those few seconds as she stood there being defiant against this man's hand of friendship, she began to recognize the gigantic debt that she had incurred against God and the way in which God's grace had flooded not only her life but the lives of so many others, including this man who had wronged so many people. And though she recognized that God in his own economy somewhere is going to have to deal with the justice of all that happened, she recognized the huge enormity of the forgiveness that she'd experienced. And she describes it in almost melodramatic terms as she said her arm just barely with all the force she could to give it, she extended her hand and shook his hand. And she said, I drew on the forgiveness of God because mine was far too small. And it says it was almost like there was this feeling that crept up my arm that went into my chest and onto my face. And she says, for relying on God's forgiveness that day, I recognized that because of the cross and my focus on my own account, basically, translation here, I was able to look into the eyes of someone I despised and love them for Christ's sake. That's huge. That's the kind of love that Paul talked about when he said, take all anger, all malice, all wrath, all clamor, and get rid of it. And then he says this, forgive each other, and he roots it in this, forgive each other just as Christ has forgiven you. When you feel like charisma is the last thing you could possibly do, when you think making the first move would be the most impossible act you've ever, ever committed, to actually to extend friendship to someone who's hurt you, when you feel like canceling the debt would be the most incredible thing because that person's hurt me so bad, hurt my family so bad, then focus on the cross. Because much like Mephibosheth, God and Christ will come shining through in those memories and you'll recognize how much you've offended a holy God. And when you see the filth of your own sin being nailed to the cross, perhaps we can say to those that have wronged us, I cancel your debt. As far as I'm concerned, we're clear. There's an old farmer that sat outside of his... Uh, Barn looked across the field into his neighbor's field. He saw his neighbor there struggling with an old mule and a plow, and he was working this plow, yanking on the reins. And it became almost humorous because it was such a battle and such a fight. And finally, the neighbor called out to this struggling farmer and said, uh, Hey, I hate to interrupt, but, uh, you know, it's going to be a whole lot easier if you just uh, made a few noises, you know, a few, a little... uh, he, uh, gee, ha, you know, that kind of thing. That'd really help. You know, yanking on those uh, reins. I mean, your mule needs to hear some directives. <laughs> the old crusty farmer stopped and mopped his brow, took his hat off in his hand. He said, yeah, I know. He said, but this here old mule, this old mule kicked me six years ago. And I haven't talked to him since. I don't know who the donkey is in your life. But I'm sure you've got one. 
Someone that's kicked you so hard it hurt. And much like that old crusty farmer, perhaps your response has been the stubborn, rebellious, ungodly attitude of saying, forget it then. I'm not making the first move. I'm not going to forget that. I'm not going to release that debt. Well, it's time for you to put this to work. Because in this world, you're going to be hurt. You're going to be hurt by people that are close to you. You're going to be hurt by people that are far from you. You're going to be hurt by coworkers. You're going to be hurt by family members. And the only way to survive is for you to learn the art of forgiveness. And to do that and to do it well means that you need to stretch out the hand first. You need to forgive the debt fully. And if you have a hard time with that, focus on the cross because nothing will motivate like your account being forgiven. That's what it's all about. So let's get good at forgiveness. You got no option. Let's pray. God, if our emotions rule our heart, then we will never get good at this. Because it's faith in a God that sees. It's a confidence in a God that can take care of the inequities of life. It's ever going to allow me to reflect the grace of God, which extends a hand when I don't feel it's deserved. That forgives a debt that seems uh, unreasonable to forgive. And God, we can only do that because there has been Mephibosheths in our lives. Who, when we've been uh, cruel or mean or unreasonable, they have graciously forgiven. What a classy person this Mephibosheth was. No retaliation, no mean words, no struggle. Just forgiveness and grace and love. God, if anybody demonstrates that to us, it's Christ who has seen every filthy thing and every bad thought and every evil deed we've ever committed. Has been, willing to, has been willing to bear that on his own, in his own body, on the cross, and is willing to embrace us now and forgive us completely. God, help us to forgive others just as Christ has forgiven us. So give us this, God, as our passion and as our purpose this week. As we make phone calls, as we write letters, as we try and bridge the gap. And let us do it as your son would do it, sincerely, wholeheartedly. And bring reconciliation and restoration wherever possible, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You're listening to Focal Point and an important reminder from Pastor Mike about how much we've been forgiven by God. Today's message is called The Key to Survival on an Imperfect Planet. Now, if you'd like to access Pastor Mike's study notes or listen to the complete message, simply go to focalpointradio.org. We're glad you're with us today as we learn how to apply biblical forgiveness in our lives. It's not easy but it's what God calls us to do. And that's our goal here at Focal Point, to help you understand the scriptures and apply it to your life. If you're hearing Pastor Mike for the first time, or if you've never contacted us before, please reach out today. When you do, we'll send you a free pamphlet called Knowing God's Will. It's designed to help you apply God's truth in your life today. We'd love to hear from you, so let us know you're listening when you call us at 888-320-5885. You know, Focal Point is heard on more than 800 radio stations and outlets across the United States and is accessible worldwide through the Internet and the Focal Point mobile app so that anyone can freely access clear biblical teaching. And we can make these radio broadcasts available because the costs are funded by listeners just like you, who share our desire to help others hear and understand God's Word. Please donate today by calling 888 888- 
320-5885 or give online at focalpointradio.org. And if you're among those who support this program financially, I'd like to say thank you. To show our gratitude for your gift today, we'd like to send you a helpful book titled The Pursuit of Excellence by Dr. George Sweeting. In this book, Dr. Sweeting explores the nine marks of Christians who pursue and attain excellence, and we hope it will encourage and inspire you to strive for excellence in your walk with the Lord. You can request The Pursuit of Excellence when you give at focalpointradio.org. Well, I'm Dave Drewy, inviting you to join us again on Tuesday when Pastor Mike introduces you to an 80-year-old man who embodied the attributes of godly wisdom. You won't want to miss the message called Octogenarian Wisdom, right here on Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. You know, it's an honor to be with you every day, helping you explore the depths of Scripture. But I want to be clear, no amount of Bible knowledge is ever going to save you. Be sure where you stand with God Get in touch with us. We'd love to pray with you and for you. Visit us today at focalpointradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.